Since California's stay-at-home order was put into effect, the region's emergency rooms have been much quieter. This isn't good news, as people who need medical attention are waiting longer to seek it. Depending on the situation, putting off an ER trip could result in organ damage, neurological setbacks if you have a stroke, or even death. Medical workers say the hesitation is partially caused by fear of contracting COVID-19 in a waiting room, but testing data shows that's very unlikely. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is a special live episode of your San Diego News Fix. Paul Sisson, you're the health reporter for the Union Tribune, and you've been driving coverage during the pandemic. Describe this shift that we're seeing in ER volumes. Sure. Uh, thank you. Um, they say it's about, we, we pulled the data uh, for daily ED admissions uh, at hospitals throughout the county, and what you can see pretty clearly is since mid-March, we've seen the, uh, the overall volume decrease by about 40%. Uh, you know, it's hard to say exactly why that is, but uh, they suspect there are three different reasons. One, some people probably are just, uh, you know, staying home because they've been asked to stay home and not use medical resources. Uh, two, uh, people, uh, you know, may be reluctant to come in because they're afraid of getting uh, infected themselves. Uh, and you know, these may be some people who were inappropriately using the ED in the past. Uh, people were maybe coming in for non-emergencies, and maybe those people are now staying home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you certainly see that with that big drip in uh, 2020. Um, so what are county health officials saying when it comes to this? Because I remember about a couple of weeks, maybe, you know, five or six briefings ago, Dr. Eric McDonald sounded really concerned. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we spoke to uh, a physician at Scripps uh, last week who said that she had recently seen somebody who passed away with a terrible pulmonary embolism, a, a, you know, a bad blood clot in the lungs, and this patient had been experiencing shortness of breath several days before they came into the ED, and um, you know, they died. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, she said that's the ultimate uh, consequence. She said that this patient had, had expressed some reluctance to come in because of fear of perhaps becoming infected with novel coronavirus. So, you know, that that is kind of the whole point here, right, is we don't want people dying at home or, or suffering major complications uh, that they could have avoided just because they're worried about getting infected. There's no, there's no point in worrying about getting infected and, and having a major issue with some other healthcare uh, uh, symptom that you're suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, certainly. This whole uh, you know discussion about flattening the curve is really about making sure that hospitals have enough resources to adequately treat people who have COVID nineteen or you know any other ailments. And it seems that San Diego has mostly succeeded in that. We haven't seen the horror stories that we've been hearing in New York and other areas. But in the beginning of the outbreak, there was much kind of strong concerns about the situations with personal protective equipment. Uh, how are things in our hospitals right now? You know, we don't really have total visibility. I think it depends on who you talk to. I mean, uh, in some cases, you hear nurses even protesting still, saying they don't have enough equipment. Uh, If you talk to the county and to the individual hospitals, uh, they say just the opposite. You know, we've got plenty. We don't don't have unlimited gear, and we we still do have to be careful with how we use it, Uh, but it's not like uh, we just don't have any. Uh, In in the um, ICUs and emergency rooms that I've been in, I think I've probably been in six hospitals at this point. I haven't really seen any shortages. I've seen a lot of folks uh, who are being masked, right? You know, if they come in and they have any kind of uh, COVID symptom, uh, patients are being masked before they're ever allowed into the hospital. I see everybody in there wearing masks. Uh, 
you know, it seems like uh, when people are going into ICU, ICU rooms or isolation rooms in, in emergency departments, uh, you know, they're they're using a variety of gear, and, and it doesn't seem like uh, like they're running running around trying to find additional uh, equipment. It seems like in the places where they are really treating uh, people in, in intense situations where they where people could become infected, uh, what I've seen is uh, you know a lot of a lot of gear being used, honestly. And when you describe exactly how hospitals are making sure that people are safe like what's the difference of being like in the waiting room for an er today versus like you know six months ago yeah i mean you might not even get into the waiting room in some cases like a sharp memorial here in town uh you know they've shut down their waiting room for the first time since it was built and uh they're you know if you don't have any covid symptoms then you might end up just waiting outside until you're escorted back directly to your emergency room uh, others still do have waiting rooms, but they're enforcing social distancing quite aggressively. Uh, you know, it just kind of depends on on the individual hospital. But certainly you can expect if you have a single symptom, uh, any, any kind of viral illness symptom or, or a recent travel history, you can expect to be separated out from the rest of this, the flow of traffic and sent through an entirely separate entrance, uh, worked up probably in a tent out in the parking lot or, or nearby uh, to kind of keep your your entire patient uh, cohort, they call it, separate from from those who, who aren't there for viral symptoms. Mm-hmm. So safe to say the chances of you getting COVID-19 in a hospital setting, which if you don't have it, let's say you cut your arm or something like that, is incredibly low, right? Sure seems to be. I mean, they, you, you know, I you certainly haven't seen any studies that indicate that a lot of folks are getting uh, infected in emergency departments. When you actually go to these emergency departments, as I have, uh, it's pretty clear that they are taking Herculean efforts to keep people safe, as safe as, as they possibly can, uh, you know, and are trying to really create two very separate paths. Uh, you know, you have viral symptom, uh, possible COVID patients over here, and you have uh, everyone else over here, and they are just really working to keep these two from coming together, you know, all the way from the emergency room stepping in. Uh, through medical and surgical departments all the way up to the ICU. They really do seem to just be kind of working hard to keep everybody separate. Mm-hmm. And uh, given that this whole system is now set up to make sure that those kind of two streams don't cross, why don't you reiterate, what are some of the things that people should definitely go to the ER for if they are having symptoms? Uh, shortness, shortness of breath, chest pain, um, any kind of dizziness, um, abdominal pain, um, numbness in your extremities, weakness, uh, those can be definite signs of stroke. You don't want to ignore them. You really just want to get in and, uh, and trust that, uh, that these folks are working their, their hardest to, to keep you from catching anything else while you're there. Mm-hmm. And additionally, the other part of your story focused on some uh, the death data. Why don't you explain that portion of the story? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, the big question is, well, okay, you know, we have some anecdotal reports that perhaps some people are not coming in soon enough and dying. So then the question becomes, you know, how many of how many of those folks are there? Uh, you know, uh, Lindsay Weekly on our uh, on our investigative team uh, worked with me to look through the various death records uh, that that are available. We weren't able to get anything directly from our coroner's office. We know that the public health department does uh, go through new deaths, uh, looking for signs of infectious illness on a pretty regular basis, but we couldn't really get them to provide anything to us in real time. 
uh, luckily the state does have some near real-time data that we were able to uh, grab uh, from the California Department of uh, Public Health. Uh, that data really showed that, you know, we're looking pretty similar to previous years for the first three or four months of this year, uh, roughly around 6,000 deaths reported, you know, previous years, maybe 100 fewer, 100 more. Looks very similar. Uh, but then what Lindsay decided to do was take a look at uh, calls for service uh, in the 911 uh, system and take a look at, uh, you know, how many uh, reports of death there were for uh, for our local 911 service in the city of San Diego. And what she found was really interesting. Uh, you know, there were over 100 more uh, in the first four months of this uh, year than there were in previous years. So there does seem to be some kind of uptick in, in calls for service indicating that someone has died, even though we haven't seen the overall numbers really spike. So we're still trying mm-hmm. to figure out what to make of that. It doesn't seem like anybody else quite knows either. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it does make sense that when it comes to ER calls and even deaths that naturally it'd be a relatively flat number with some changes, you know, with flu season and things like that. But a spike of deaths that is kind of out of place does suggest that maybe people are waiting a little bit too long to ask for help. Yeah, there's certainly some smoke there. What what exactly the fire is, we're we're still trying to figure that out. And uh, we hope everybody will keep reading and watching and uh, follow along with us. Mm Mm-hmm. Certainly. It's, it's been uh, interesting to kind of see how the medical system in San Diego has responded to the pandemic. It seems that we are in one of the areas that perhaps are a little more better prepared and lucky as well, I suppose. Well, you know, I think it's also fair to say that you know, it hit first in other places like Washington and New York. So, you know, we, we had the benefit of getting to watch others go first, you know, certainly in Italy and, and China as well. So, uh, you know, we, we did definitely had the, the time to, to keep an eye on and learn from others, uh, Although, you know, I think it should be said that our local uh, healthcare and public health community did, did do their homework. They weren't just sitting idly by and doing nothing. It seems like they really were paying as much attention as they could to, to the experiences that were unfolding in places where this has hit harder. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all you could hope for for a medical system. All right, Paul Sisson, thank you so much. Thank you. Now your coronavirus update. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved a framework for businesses to reopen. The vote came after California Governor Gavin Newsom said that some retail stores could reopen as early as Friday. The plan was then sent to Sacramento, and they made an official request for formal local control during the pandemic. Also, health officials briefed supervisors on how well the region has slowed the spread of the disease. UCSD researcher Natasha Martin calculated the r naught value of the virus, which is a way of showing how many people one infected person goes on to infect. If the region had done nothing, that number would be 4.67, but she found it to currently be 0.83. Without public health interventions, the virus would have claimed an estimated 12,790 lives in San Diego County by April 27th. That is roughly the population of Solana Beach. However, with social distancing and other public health interventions, the county had observed 128 deaths by the same date. Martin cautioned that while an effective reproduction number of less than one is good, if the county were to lift all public health restrictions today, models predict the county would see hundreds of deaths per day by the first week of June. In the outbreak, Health officials confirmed another 140 cases and six more deaths. 
So far, 4,160 people have been sickened by the disease and 150 have died. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. We want to remind you that information is your first line of defense. The San Diego Union Tribune is dedicated to bringing you latest news in print, online, and on our podcasts. Right now, you can read our public health stories related to the virus online for free without hitting the paywall. But you can get all the news at your fingertips, wherever and whenever you want, if you're a subscriber. Don't miss a story? Go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.